Our first uh, scripture reading is from Psalm 119. Uh, Psalm 119, 105 is the signature verse for our 40 days in the Word, but I'm going to read uh, the passage that begins in verse 97 and then goes to 105. So listen to the words from the psalmist. It says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn away from your ordinances, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I launch us into the message, I want to begin by posing a question. And the question is, have you ever wondered what is the measuring stick for being a successful church? Is it lots of programs, a big budget, state-of-the-art facilities, uh, uh, active programs, lots of people. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it's the ability to just cut to the chase and give people the God's honest truth. Story is told of a minister who was delivering a real fire and brimstone sermon one Sunday when he said, it is a fearful thought that every member of this congregation will sooner or later die. And everybody sitting just like you are, you know, quiet and somber, except there was one guy sitting on the front pew, and he had this great big smile on his face, and that kind of unnerved the preacher a little bit, and so he looked at the man, and he repeated, every member of this congregation will sooner or later die. This time, the man smiled even more. He was looking around. He had a grin from ear to ear. Well, the preacher stepped down from the pulpit, went right in front of the man, and said, sir, may I ask you what you find so amusing about my statement? The man said, oh, preacher, I am so relieved. You see, I'm not a member of this congregation. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the book of Acts, the congregation in the Jerusalem church is lifted up to the answer to that big question, what makes for a successful church? Because that church became an oasis, a safe haven, a place where people embraced, cherished, treasured, and cared for one another at a deep, deep level. And so for the next couple of minutes, we're going to be taking a look at the early church in Acts. And I want us to try to answer this question. How does Chestnut Level Presbyterian Church stack up against the Jerusalem Presbyterian Church? So I invite you to join me as we catch a glimpse of this early church from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, it's actually the Pentecost uh, 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 passage, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and then 42 to 47. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now down to verse 42. 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for the gift of your word to us this day, and we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of each and every heart here in this room will prove acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, to the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Well, the one thing that the Jerusalem church had was a unity of spirit and purpose. In the very first uh, verse, in Acts chapter 2, it says they were all together in one place. Is there anything more wonderful to be in a place where the people are all together? But on the flip side, is there anything more discouraging than to be with a group of people who are not all together? And what this scripture reading in Acts chapter 2 shows me is that it really doesn't matter at the end of the day if you're from the north or from the south. If you're rich or poor, old or young, black or white, liberal or conservative, mask or no mask, vaccine or no vaccine, or even Baptist or Presbyterian, it doesn't matter. And I think the same is true here. We don't all think alike. We don't all see things from the same perspective, right? We come from different family backgrounds and different geography, and, and different educational levels and different socioeconomic classes, but we make it work. How? Why? Because our common bond is that of the people of God. We're all together here as one body. We are one by a, by a Father who made us. We are one by a, by a Christ who redeemed us. We are one by a Spirit who dwells within us. And the Jerusalem church pulled together to accomplish God's mission in the world. Think about this. They came together. They prayed together. They ate together. They were all in it together. Verse 46 says, they spent much time together. What that tells me is that we humans are hardwired to connect. It's in our DNA. It's probably why this last year and a half has been so hard for so many people. It was the uh, German pediatrician, Ernest Morrow, who discovered that our first impulse out of the womb is to be held. In fact, if a newborn infant is startled, their arms will stretch up and out uh, looking for a desperate clutch. So think about that. We were pre-programmed from the factory to do this. And you know what? When our embraces touch nothing but air, we tend to do some rather strange things. Tom Hanks finds himself all alone on an island in the movie Castaway, and he winds up bonding with a Wilson volleyball. Sadly, other people do drugs or alcohol or turn bitter or angry, and some even take their lives because they feel so alone. We, we yearn to be a thread in a fabric of lives that is woven together. 
And maybe what we need is some good old southern hospitality that says, y'all come and sit a spell. We'd like to get to know you. You see, here at Chestnut Level Presbyterian Church, we don't want to be a Teflon church where people just slide off. We want to be a Velcro church where you, where you bond and you stick for life. Another sense in which that church was all together is that church loved to do the very thing that we are doing at this moment, and that is worshiping God together. Now, one thing about worship that can be a bit confusing is that there is this belief that the worship of God should be best left to the pros up front. If you think that, you're wrong. We are all players on a cosmic stage. I heard the story about the guy who finally got tickets to go to a Penn State home game, but his seats were way up high in the nosebleed section. And so he made his way around the stadium trying to find a seat closer to the field so that he could see the game better. And finally, he found an empty seat right on the 50-yard line. Well, he asked an older gentleman who was sitting next to the empty seat whether anyone was sitting there. And the old man said no. And amazed, the young man said, how could someone pass up a seat like that? And the older gentleman responded, well, that's my wife's seat. We've been to every Penn State home game since the day we were married, but she passed away. And the young man said, I am so sorry to hear that, but why, why didn't you invite a friend or relative to come with you to the game so that you wouldn't have to watch the game alone? And the old man said, oh, they're all at the funeral. We, we yearn, there's a point to that story, by the way. We yearn to be part of something that is bigger than just ourselves. And, and, and Jesus says, that's what happens when you gather together for worship. So in that Jerusalem church, there was great unity, even though it was amidst a diverse body of believers, but they gathered together for worship. They were, they were all stakeholders with deep level of commitment to God and, and an investment in the lives of other people. Verse 46 also says they had glad and generous hearts and the goodwill of all the people. Why? Because Jesus took all their problems away? No. They had problems just like we have problems. However, with those problems still came a deep love for God and those people were filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. What do you think would happen if this group of people right here were to catch fire with the Spirit of God? I'll tell you what I think. I believe that what God did 2,000 years ago in the early church in Acts, God can do again right here in our church. You see, because as the church, we are the ecclesia. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church, and here's what it means those who are called out. Friends, the Holy Spirit is here, alive, ready, willing, and able to equip you and me to carry out Jesus Christ's reconciling work to the Quarryville community and out to the rest of the world. I mentioned earlier that Psalm 119.105 is sort of the signature verse for our 40 days in the Word. Let me share with you that scripture one more time. It says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. 
That's pretty easy to interpret. That means that God's word sort of lights the way to guide our thoughts and our words and our actions. I think the problem and maybe the pressure comes with God's word lighting the way that that kind of puts us just a bit in the spotlight. And as the world looks at us, you know what they should be saying? Look at those people. Look how they live. Look at how they treat each other as family. Look how they care and love others. Aren't they the class of the field? Of course, that's a lot of pressure. And so we may wonder, well, what happens if, if we slip and fall? Well, praise God, we have a safety net underneath us. The blood of Jesus Christ gives us the forgiveness. Whenever we stumble and fall or need strength to withstand the intensity of the spotlight. So let me ask you a question. How are you, how are you doing in the spotlight? In other words, what I'm really saying is, how bright is the wattage of Jesus Christ in your life? Robert Withnow is a professor at Princeton University. He did a study a while back to try to figure out why some people are generous with their lives and compassionate towards others, while other people are just the opposite. Now, Robert Withnow originally thought that it was going to be on the basis of your family background. In other words, if you were raised in a good family, then you would be more likely the kind of person who would be generous towards others. Believe it or not, what he found instead, statistically, was that wasn't true. He said some of the stingiest people came from families uh, with, with, uh, with, with good backgrounds. Now, what he did find was that in almost every case, people identified as generous or compassionate had an experience in their formative years of someone acting in a surprisingly generous and compassionate way towards them. And that this one experience, this one experience became a kind of moral narrative as to how they lived. And so Robert Wuth now told about a, a, a man named Jack Casey who was an ambulance driver for the rescue squad. And when Jack Casey was a little boy, he was having his wisdom teeth taken out. And this was back in the days when the extent of anesthesia was ether sprayed on the mask that you were wearing. And Jack Casey, this little boy, was, was terrified and, and crying out in fear. Now, there was an operating room nurse who did something that she wasn't supposed to do. She said to him, don't be afraid. I'm not going to leave you. I'll stay right here with you. And even though that nurse was supposed to be out and about making her rounds, she stayed true to her word. Well, when Jack Casey woke up in the recovery room, she was right there at his bedside. 25 years later, Jack Casey is called to the scene of a bad accident. A truck has overturned. The driver is pinned underneath the steering wheel. The police and firefighters are desperately trying to free the man using the jaws of life. Gasoline is dripping on this man's clothing, one spark, and it's all over. And that poor man is yelling out in fear, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. Jack Casey does something he wasn't supposed to do, something he wasn't even trained for. He crawls through the broken windshield of that truck, nestles, nestles himself next to the driver, and says, don't be afraid, I'm not going to leave you, I'll stay here right beside you. Jack Casey's wattage burned bright, and it shined before others who were gripped in fear and darkness. 
And friends, we are called to sort of catch the radiance of Jesus Christ and then reflect it in this dark and scary world in which we live. As I close, I want to talk just a little bit more about this special day. And as I was thinking about this week, what I was thinking was, if only these walls could talk, what would they say? Think of the stories they could tell. Because for generations, there has been worship on Sunday mornings and special services like Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and Christmas Eve, and choir cantatas. There have been weddings, funerals, baptisms, the celebration of the Lord's Supper. There have been congregational meetings. And lives have been transformed here, never to be the same again. People have been assembling in this room since 1767, right here in the sanctuary of Chestnut Level Presbyterian Church. And now it is a remodeled, renovated, and restored sanctuary. But guess what? Our mission has not changed. Our business is still changing lives, changing families, changing communities, changing the world through the power and grace of Christ. And that means we're supposed to grow more and more Christ-like, sharing what Jesus has done in our lives so that we might give hope to people who have lost all hope. This is our business. And so as much as we dedicate this building today, we're also rededicating in our lives because our best work is not behind us. Our best work is still ahead. We don't just gather here on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to remember the gospel story. Uh-uh. We come here to build and to go forth to be, to be the gospel story. To follow Jesus Christ so faithfully that we become his face to the world around us. See, I want to let you in on a little secret. People really don't care what we believe. If they can't see what we do. And so, yeah, we can, we can hide behind these walls and windows and play it safe. Feel comfortable. We've got air conditioning now. But if we truly want to claim our identity in Christ, we've got to go beyond the walls and the windows and the AC. As I said, our best response is not to dedicate this building, as important as it is, but it's to rededicate our lives because there's more work to do. Through, through God's divine providence, we have been put here at 1068 Chestnut Level Road to be a mission-minded module for Jesus Christ. And this hasn't been, is not, nor should it ever be a castle in which we raise up the drawbridge when times get tough or we wave this white flag of surrender if the enemies seem overwhelming or the task simply seems too big. Friends, our call from God is to stand tall and firm in the face of adversity because we 
our Chestnut Level Presbyterian Church. We are God's field. We are God's building. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Loving God, it's so good to be all together in this very special place this morning. And we thank you for bringing us together as one within the body of Christ. Help us to walk not in the paralyzing fear of darkness, but instead to be a witness to your saving power to those whom we meet. May our words, our thoughts, our actions be a reflection of your radiant glory. And as we live and love and serve, hold us in your hand as we hold each other in our hearts. And hear us, O God, as we join together as one people, in one faith, with one voice, to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.